to all of us, certainly, but to uh, members of Hope Presbyterian Church. I offer you this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Let me pray. Lord, I pray that we all would receive the instruction of your word, convict where we need conviction, encourage where we need encouragement. Wherever we are, meet us with your word. I pray particularly for those uh, members of Hope Prez who are with us now, that they would receive this as a final word from their planting church, a a final goodbye admonition, um, and let it form the way they approach this new church. I pray for uh, Marsh and and his family and Justin and um, all the officers of Hope Prez that are here. Um, Pray for all of them. Um, that this would be a blessing to them and uh, a good word as we send them forth. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want to offer the most countercultural commissioning you will ever hear in church. I gave a lot of thought to what I wanted to be my final word at TCPC downtown. Um, Many of you rapid run folks, some of you have never even had a chance to, to visit our downtown congregation, uh, but almost all of you don't know it as intimately as I know it. The first year of that church, I preached 75% of the time. Uh, the second year, I preached 50. This past year, I maybe did 25, I doubt it, but I didn't do much. He didn't let me preach much this year. Um, and that's a good thing. It was a great way to do it. But I, I got to know this congregation. I know... Um, I know many of them very well. Many of them are very, very dear friends of mine. And as I thought through, uh, as I thought through kind of a final word to this church that I love, um, I kept coming back to this admonition in Hebrews, an admonition that has become anathema in our day and age. Hebrews 13, 17, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they are keeping watch over your souls. Is there anything more countercultural than that? I recently read an interview with Brad Pitt where he tried to explain why he is for spirituality but against vehemently opposed to religion. Doesn't that sound familiar in our day and age? Here's what he said I would call religion oppression. Because it stifles any kind of personal, individual freedom. The article says, To Pitt, the parable of the prodigal son is an authoritarian tale told to keep people in line. This is what, this, he explains, what Pitt has to say about the prodigal son that we love so much. This, he explains, is a story which says if you go out and try to find your own voice and find what works for you and what makes sense for you, then you are going to be destroyed and you will be humbled and you will not be alive again until you come home to the Father's ways. That's oppression. Isn't that an interesting interpretation of the parable that we love so dearly? This story of love and grace and forgiveness to our culture is a threatening tale of religious oppression. Now, you will probably be tempted to say that's just crazy celebrities doing their thing completely out of touch with reality. But be careful 
with such a quick dismissal. I think we have more in common with Brad Pitt's sentiments and the cultural worldview at large. I'll be honest with you, Hope Prez. I chose this verse because of your unique demographic. You are a predominantly young congregation. For many of you, TCPC downtown was your first experience with the church. Some of you never even knew that Maybe you didn't even think that you had to go to church, certainly like join a church. And I believe for you, in particular, this cultural movement has become much more second nature to you than you realize. How often, for instance, have you heard it said, Christianity is a relationship, not a religion? I think it's true. There's sentiment. I love the sentiment behind that. That is what's unique about the gospel. But what's behind that statement is a worldview that worships individual autonomy and distrusts institutional authority. But what about so many Christians who genuinely love Jesus? You may be one of them here. Who genuinely love Jesus, would identify themselves as a follower of Jesus, but will not join his church. Love Jesus, but I don't want anything to do with the religion thing. At best, they view church membership as kind of a useless, archaic formality. At worst, they view church membership as something wrong. I love Jesus, just against organized religion. And institutional, institutions themselves, churches themselves, have only reinforced this philosophy of autonomy and individualism. The church in our day has made what I believe is a tragic choice of adapting Christianity to meet these demands of our culture. That is to say, oh, you don't like authority? Well, we can give you a church without authority. We'll take away all that stuff. We'll hand you a a demandless religion that doesn't have any authority or accountability over your life, and certainly we are done with that crazy, ancient practice called church discipline. That's where we are, friends. An age where Christians don't want to submit and churches that no longer ask them to submit. And into that culture, I commission you, Hope Presbyterian, Obey your leaders and submit to them. The obvious question to be answered in this verse is why Hebrews calls us to obey and submit to anyone other than God. The answer, biblically speaking, is that is exactly what this verse is calling you to do. Matthew 16, Matthew 18, 1 Corinthians 5, Ephesians 4. I could go on and on, biblically showing you That the church has been given authority from on high. Christ has ordained that we submit to him by submitting to his institution. The church. Specifically the ordained leadership of his church. That is why our text says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. I thought Jesus keeps watch over our souls. I thought he is our good shepherd of the sheep. He is. And this is how he keeps watch over our souls. Brothers and sisters, you are not meant to, nor can you care for your own soul. 
You do know that, right? You cannot do individual Christianity. You need community to care for your soul. But not just any community, community with institutional authority. But not just any institutional authority, God-ordained, spirit-anointed institutional authority. But not just any God-ordained, spirit-anointed institutional authority, a particular, local, God-ordained, spirit-anointed institutional authority within your particular community. Your soul needs Hope Presbyterian. In general... And your soul needs Marshall Wilmhoff, Justin Carlson, Phil Carter, Bryce Anderson, and Kyle Howard in particular. And they can only care for your soul if you are willing to obey and submit. Or as the vow you took when you joined this fellowship says, do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church? Now... That is the countercultural stuff. Let's play devil's advocate, shall we? Perhaps our culture's onto something with its distrust and disdain of ecclesial authority. After all, how many scandals do we have to endure? How many times was, must we be hurt before we stop submitting to church leadership? Before we stop trusting authority? For some of you, that's a very raw, painful personal issue because you have been hurt perhaps you trusted yourself to a church and a church hurt you perhaps you trusted yourself to a pastor and a pastor hurt you perhaps even me talking about obey your leaders and submit to them evokes kind of a PTSD reaction within your soul I'm not naive to that okay I understand I'm preaching this passage in light of that reality. And by the, by the way, when I say that reality, I'm not talking out there. I'm not talking the latest church scandal on news. There are people who submitted to the authority of a senior pastor of TCPC who betrayed their trust in the most painful way by taking his own life. That happened here. There are people who submitted and trusted a past associate pastor of TCPC who betrayed their trust in the most vulnerable and intimate and destructive ways with wicked abuse. And yet here I am in the same church at this pulpit saying with the audacity to tell you still, even still, obey your leaders and submit to them. So the question of all questions is this. Who are the leaders obeying and submitting to? Who's their authority? Who's their accountability? Listen to me. Never, ever, 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 ever submit to authority who is not willing to submit themselves to authority. Never, ever, ever submit to a church authority in the weird way that we do church these days where somehow you got the all-star on top living completely outside of authority and accountability. Don't submit to that authority. And that's not what I'm asking you to do. So who's the authority over Marshall? This is why I am happy to be commissioning to you Hope Presbyterian Church. I love Presbyterianism. Not only because I believe it's biblical, because it's beautiful. Nobody living outside submission. After today... 
I am no longer Marshall's boss. Actually, I am no longer your boss. You're on your own. I am no longer his boss. But I remain his elder of many other elders called a presbytery. And let me give you this assurance, Hope Presbyterian Church. Let me give you this assurance. If he is ever perpetually unfaithful to his ordination vows that he took, if he is ever abusive in his authority, if he ever falls into unrepentant sin, if he ever harms his marriage, his family, I will be the first to grab him by the neck via the book of church order and yank him from his office and then come back to you, Hope Presbyterian Church, with a different word saying, never submit to that man again. And TCPC, he will do the same for me. Elders, pastors of Hope Presbyterian, we are not playing games here. You should be feeling the weight of holy heaven upon you, which is where the verse goes. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. If I may, I would like to speak to, to um, Marsh, uh, Justin, and any, any officers, any hope officers that are in the room here. Brothers, these are God's people. He loves them. He purchased them with his precious blood of his son. He has asked them to submit to the authority of his church and made no mistake about it. He intends for them to find within that authority the loving care for their souls. The duty belongs to you to confess first, to repent First, to own your weakness and failures as leaders, to repent before God where you have failed as leaders, to receive his grace as broken leaders, to renew your commitments as shepherds of souls, to rise up as humble men who wash feet before they make any demands, who embody the very submission you are calling them to, plead for God's strength and mercy, to not make a mess of his beloved bride and then empowered by the Holy Ghost of God, assured of your calling or ordination, secure in the gospel of Jesus Christ, you lead them. You are to lead as those who will give an account before God because you will. And by way of assurance to the members of Hope Press, you have the added benefit because of the way we did this. I could not so confidently stand here and preach Hebrews 13 to you if we did not do it the way we did it. We did not find someone that we did not know and ask them to come play in a church for us. I know Marshall and I know Justin as well as you can know anyone. I know their strengths, I know their weaknesses, I know their sins. And I can say to you without an ounce of hesitation, these are brothers that I personally gladly submit my soul to. I obey Marshall Wilmoff. And he can give you instances of that. 
if I could choose a pastor to pastor my children, it would be Marshall Wilmoth. It's my point. Is that I could I can give you I can give you this commission with complete confidence that you are submitting and obeying to leadership that is good for your soul. My only request, my closing request here, is that you make it good for their soul. I hope you can tell by this, this little homily how weighty is the call of pastor at ministry. Caring for souls entrusted to you by God as one who's going to give an account to Almighty God for their care. Why would anybody take this job? The answer is nobody takes this job. Just call, pluck out and do it. And it's the reason, it's the reason for alarming rates of pastoral burnout more than any profession by and large. So members of Hope Perez, I'm not just asking you to submit to your leaders. I'm asking you to care for your leaders. That last phrase of the verse, obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Do you you know what that's saying to you? Make them happy because nobody likes submitting to an unhappy leader. It is of no advantage to you for Marshall Wilmoff to be joyless. It is of no advantage to you for Justin to be struggling. And it's not just the advantage to you beyond that. I, I'm not your senior pastor anymore. I got to say it to him in the first service, the senior pastors. Now I'm just pleading. I have personal interest in their joy because they are my joy. Did it in the first service and you're not doing the second. Here I am. Okay. I love Marshall. I love Jenna. I love Justin. Betsy, I'm, I'm trusting you with them. You better care for them. I want every single one of you to tithe. Or your pastor will have sleepless nights worrying about a budget. I mean that. I want you to defend their honor when others are slandering them, and they will, all around this city. You're going to hear nonsense that isn't true, and you tell them, that's not true, that's my pastor. I want you to come to them with your critiques, rather than pollute their congregation with your gossip. I want you to serve them. I want you to give them the benefit of the doubt for every one criticism. I want a hundred compliments. I want you to show up with gift cards and tell them to go on a date. You're going to watch the kids that night. I want you to pray and pray and pray and pray. I want you to love Eden and Audrey and Brooks and Benjamin and Lisey. Amos, like they were your own kids. Don't put undue pressure on these kids and make them grow up and hate the church. 
Give them vacations and study leaves and sabbaticals. Take care of my friends. If you don't, I'll hire them back. And come work here again. You go find your own pastor. You burn them out. Okay, I gotta be done. All right. All right. Hope Perez, final word to you as your former senior pastor. Um, Hebrews 13. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. We pray. Lord, we send them out as our beloved, not just those pastors, but these congregants that we love so much. This is exactly how it should be, Lord. We should rejoice and we should weep at our friends moving on. But Lord, I, <clears throat> I celebrate it. And we celebrate it. And we say you are good. And we pray for this church, particularly for the leaders of this church and for their families. Lord, preserve and protect them. Bless and keep them. Make your face shine upon them. Be gracious unto them. Lift your countenance upon them and give them your peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys. Uh, It's great to be here. Uh, Feels like being home in many ways. Uh, I've not been here on a Sunday morning in a very long time, and I've missed it. Uh, The first time I can remember uh, coming here was actually probably the fall of 1999. Um, I was a college student. I had a lot more hair in the fall of 1999. Uh, I probably weighed a bit less than I do today. Uh, And a lot's changed here and a lot's changed in my life. I've doubled in age uh, since the fall of 99. And um, this is a special place. This will always be a special place. Uh, You hear people say when they move away, you can, like I could say, uh, I've moved from Northern Kentucky, but you can't get the Northern Kentucky out of me. And uh, I'm, we, are, we have moved from Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church, but you're not going to be able to get the Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church out of me. So thank you for the last 20 years of uh, faithfully being in my life and for faithfully being in so many other people's lives uh, that are in this room. Um, let's pray and uh, we'll listen from the word. Listen from the word. Father in heaven, thank you that you hear our prayers. Uh, Lord, that there have been prayers prayed uh, (laughs) since the mid-80s from this church that this day would come. And uh, Lord, you have been faithful to this church. Lord, you have uh, kept her. And uh, Lord, you are keeping her. And you will uh, continue to keep her moving forward. Oh Lord, would you uh, bless us uh, with your word. Lord, we are not... Uh, listening to words that I've written this week, uh, we are listening uh, to the words that have come from your very mouth. In Christ's name, amen. Let me ask you a question this morning. Uh, who's had a, a deep and abiding impact in your life? Who's that person? Uh, was it a professor? Was it a teacher? Was it a coach? Uh, was it a friend? Was it a neighbor? Was it a parent? Was it a parent? Maybe it was another family member. Uh, for me, there have been many. Uh, But one that I really want to talk about this morning is a woman named Ruth Bruce. She's my grandmother. She's she's one of nine kids. She grew up really poor. She grew up in uh, western Kentucky in a a county called Muhlenberg County. 
Uh, she uh, later got married as a teenager and moved to northern Kentucky, where I'm from. And I had the privilege of growing up really down the street from my grandparents uh, my whole life. Uh, we went to the same church. I saw her every Sunday. And I spent a lot of time at her house. And because we spent so much time together, I had this like, photo album of memories when I think of my grandmother, Ruth Bruce. Uh, I think of playing wiffle ball in the backyard with my brother, uh, with my grandma, who was well into her 70s. And I think she really liked it. Uh, I can remember uh, her taking us by her rose bushes and showing us the importance of trimming them back so that more buds would grow. Uh, I can remember her crocheting, crocheting in, her, uh, in, in her rocker uh, while watching, uh, taking Jeopardy way too seriously. Uh, I can remember sitting about right there where the socks are sitting uh, every Sunday in church. I can remember serving in the nursery Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. But I also remember her sitting in the same rocker uh, where she yelled at Pat Sajak. I also remember her uh, reading her Bible there. I remember her giving me hugs and telling me she loved me. That's my grandmother. And she's had a huge impact on my life. You could Google her right now and you're not going to get one hit. Maybe you would, but it's not her. She didn't have a college education. She didn't have this huge funeral. She didn't have any plaques in her house. Her main job was uh, working from home, altering other people's clothes. That was Ruth Bruce. Nothing impressive about her. But she was an extraordinary woman. And I think what people like Ruth Bruce do is they make us pause and ask this question. If you're going to have impact in the kingdom of God, what should you be like? What does it require? I mean, that's really what today symbolizes, isn't it? It's about the impact of the kingdom of God that has happened in our midst. And Tate's Creek Presbyterian Church, you have had a tremendous impact on Lexington, on Hope Presbyterian Church, on every member of my family And on me. And today gives us a moment to reflect on how all this happened. And I think that's what 1 John 4, verses 7 to 12 really point us to. Uh, So let's read this together. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know God... Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. The word of the Lord. Now we could be here uh, all day talking about these six verses. But what I really want to do uh, in the next few moments is really unpack verse 12. Read it again. Verse 12 that says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 
I have three kids, uh, Eden, Audrey, and Brooks. They're nine, seven, and two. And uh, being a father of small children gives you a treasure chest of sermon illustrations. So let me put one out there for you. Uh, this has been several months ago, uh, but our middle daughter, Audrey, um, she asked lots of questions, especially questions about God. I think she might just grow up and be a theologian. And one of the questions that she asked me, she said, uh, Daddy, does God have big muscles? And I laughed and I tried to keep it together because I was afraid if I laughed too hard or too long, I, was, I would belittle her uh, genuine question. So I had to pull something together and say something meaningful. And I had to tell Audrey that God does not have big muscles. He does not have a mustache and he does not have a man bun. (laughs) And I could tell uh, that she was disappointed with my answer. It kind of sounds like a buzzkill when you say you can't see God. And she just asks if God had big muscles. And when you read 1 John 4, 12, and the very first phrase says, look at it again, verse 12. It says, no one has ever seen God. And if that's where the verse ended, it was just with that phrase, I would understand the disappointment. But that's not where the verse ends. There are actually two more statements before we hit verse 13. So even though we can't see God with our eyes, God does present us with a way that we can see him. Do you see it in that second phrase? He says, if we love one another, God abides in us. So, sure, we we don't experience God visually with our eyeballs, but we do experience him when God's people love one another. Isn't that astounding? So instead of being able to see God with your eyes, he allows us to see him through the love that his people have with one another. And so what John is really saying here is that if you want to see God, then get around some Christians who love one another. It's really an astounding phrase, but the third phrase is the one that really baffled me. Do you see the third one? For his love is perfected in us. Now, the logic of this passage, if you really start back in verse 8, you see that God is love in himself. And then you read verses 9 and 10, and you see that God manifests his love among us by sending his son. And the reason it's so daring is because... God's goal goes further than being love in himself. It goes further than manifesting that love in his son. It's not made complete. It's not perfected until verse 12 when we actually love one another. That's God's goal. So we need to understand something very clearly. We're not just modeling God by loving like him. God is actually loving you when another Christian loves you. See, we're in God and God is in us. I don't know how that works. It's beyond words. It's a mystery and mysteries like our union with Christ require our imagination. Maybe when you were a kid, you thought monsters lived in your closet. You didn't like being alone. You didn't like being in the dark. And you'd call out from your room, mommy or daddy, grandma or grandpa, there's a monster under my bed. There's a monster in my closet. And your mom or dad came to your room, they opened up the door and they said, it's just your imagination. 
A lot of times when we use this word imagination, we think of things like fantasy. We think about monsters and closets. But that's not the way I want you to view imagination in this moment. I want you to view imagination as giving you the capacity to image the imperceptible. The capacity to visualize things that are unseen. See, God is unseen. But he's given you and I a way to see him. We can see him and we see him through our imagination and the love that Christians have for their fellow mankind. So this whole idea of being in Christ, in Christ in us, it is going to require your imagination. And it's what one author called an enchanted reality. Enchanted reality. I like that. Because enchanted gets at the mystery of the thing and reality gets at the truth of the thing. See, when I came to TCPC in college, half my life ago, I was disenchanted with the church. In some way, when I came back to TCPC after seminary, I was once again disenchanted with the church. But TCPC, it was your love that activated my imagination that I might see that there actually was a God who loved me. So I think back on my life. I think about who shaped me. I can think about a lot of people and I think of my grandma. I think about you. See, Robert rightly commissioned Hope Presbyterian Church. It makes sense. We're becoming a church today. But what about you, Tate's Creek? Seems a bit odd that I would commission you. You're not going anywhere. The people that were here last week, we're going to be here next week. Nothing's really going to change for you based on what's happened today. Your leadership's going to stay the same. Your doctrine's going to stay the same. But the thing that could slip... The thing that has made this place so special to me, to Jenna, and scores of others in this room is your self-giving love. You helped us see God. Your love literally put us into existence. And so... May your love, this imaging of the unseen God, be true of you for many years in many daughter churches to come. Amen. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our imagination. Thank you that you've given us a way to see you. Thank you that you allowed me to see you through these people. Oh, Lord, would you fill them with your spirit to continue to do this for one another, to do this for our city, uh, that we might see the bluegrass changed by the power of the gospel. We pray this in your name. Amen.